Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here in, in association with my good friends at Food for the Hungry, CDF Capital, Preaching Today, and the Ascent Leader. I'm excited because today we get to have a conversation with someone who means the world to me, a man by the name of Kerry Newhoff. Now, I know you probably know the name. You've probably read his blog posts. You've seen what he's put out when it comes to the Kerry Newhoff podcast, which is about leadership in the marketplace, leadership in the church setting. I mean, this guy is a voice, but personally, he has been there for me. And here's what I mean. He wrote a book called Didn't See It Coming, and it came out a month, literally a month after I left Willow. And I remember just picking it up and reading it, and it was like ministering to me. And Carrie was someone who reached out on the regular. I remember being in the desert, us talking as I'm walking. I remember just having to sit and reflect on the words from Didn't See It Coming. And um, he's, just, he's just been the, the kind of person that I, I've admired from afar, and I'm excited because the thing about Kerry is he understands leadership, yes, but he also understands preaching. He's preached at Connexus Church. He's the founding pastor there, a growing church in Canada. I think the world of that place. And as he stepped out and handed it off, and the church is doing fantastic, but he understands what it's like to have to preach multiple messages in a week. He knows what it's like to have to craft sermon series. He knows what it's like to have to kind of chase down content and ideas. And he also knows the leadership space very, very well. And he has a book coming out next month called At Your Best. And I really want to, to talk with him because I think one, he's got this unique purview of kind of being outside the church right now, speaking to marketplace leaders, speaking to senior leaders, but he also is deeply, deeply connected inside the church for 30 some years, pastoring, leading, teaching, writing, all of that stuff. So he gets it. And he's someone who experienced burnout. He experienced the pain of not doing it at your best. And has really learned some lessons that I think, especially coming out of 2020, especially in the midst of 2021, for many of us emerging voices, for many of us senior pastors, for many of us teaching pastors, you need to hear this. And so without further ado, let's welcome Carrie Newhoff. Carrie Newhoff, it is so good to have you here on the podcast. Uh, obviously, I love you. Uh, you've been a brother. You have been a friend. Uh, you've also been someone, I know most people know you from the Carrie Newhoff podcast and all of the content that you consistently are putting out that's helping marketplace leaders, that helps preachers, pastors like me. Um, but for some of the young emerging voices, they might not know the great communicator preacher that you were at Connexus Church. I mean, I, I would tune into you often when you were teaching in Canada. I, I, I think recently even went back to a message that I had saved that you had given pre-COVID at Menlo Park. Uh, and I, oh, yeah. I the message. Yeah. And so I, I just, I, I think the world of you and you've got a new book wow. coming out called um, At Your Best. And I have just, I love the title. I love the idea of it. I love the concept of it. But I really wanted to kind of spend some time addressing for these pastors and preachers and communicators how we can live at our best. Maybe just start with the, the genesis of the idea of the book. Yeah, well, first of all, let me just say it's really mutual, Steve. I so appreciate you really, really have appreciated the conversations we've had 
and the body of your work over time. So yeah, it's one of those things that's really interesting. You know, I have probably mm, starting to balance out now because I haven't been a lead pastor for six years, right? So, but I probably spent more time on my sermon writing for sure than on my leadership stuff. But you never know what's going to resonate with people. I mean, we had a good-sized church and everything like that, and we had thousands of people come to Christ. It's awesome. But it's weird that, you know, for something that was a hobby that I would spend a fraction of the time that I would spend developing sermons, that's the stuff that went viral. It's like, okay, well, God, you know, you have a sense of humor. But yeah, I've spent like 30 years crafting messages. And the book comes out of the fact that I didn't do it well. I. Wow. I, I hit a wall when I turned 40, right? When I was around your age, 15 years ago. And I our church was growing, not the biggest church in the world, but big for us and one of the largest in the country, fastest growing in our denomination. And um, I had a horrible equation for growth, which was more people equals more hours. But you know what's interesting too? I had a conversation with a Roman Catholic uh, priest friend of mine. And he said, Carrie, decline can be as big a burnout factor as growth can, right? Because you're just so discouraged. You think about the moment we're in right now where uh, I'm on this text chain with a bunch of people who lead significantly sized churches. Everyone's at like 40 to 50%. And it's like just so depressing. Anyway, the book came out of the fact that while I was a pastor trying to manage a growing church, preach every weekend. Back then, I mean, you would know this. You, you had time at Willow. We were still following Willow right around the time that I burned out. We shifted models shortly after. They're, the two are not related. But, you know, we had midweek service, man. We had a midweek service. I was doing like 60 messages a year, maybe, yeah. preaching most weekends and then a lot of Wednesdays. And, of course, there was no social, so the pressure wasn't as great. But, you know, I got hit by the bus. I just, like a bug on the windshield, I, I burned out in 2006 and didn't know whether I was going to make it back or not. And so I thought I was going to write a burnout book. I turned out to write a don't get burned out book, get out of burnout or never ever burn out if you can help it. Um, Some strategies on how to avoid that because time management is such a huge issue for so many leaders. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because, you know, so many pastors that I'm connected with right now coming out of 2020, they are feeling overwhelmed. Um, they are feeling overworked because it's all a different mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. re- like reality, a different world right now. For some, they had, they were so used to being behind the pulpit, writing messages. Then it went, you know, digital. Now it's like back to, and we don't know if it's going to move back to going on. I mean, all of this. And then you've got civil unrest, you've got the political side. I am mm-hmm. finding that when you mentioned that these leaders, senior leaders, incredible leaders feeling at 40%. You just see oh, yeah. go, this is, this is, it's not, and I don't see like any let off the gas anytime soon, which like makes me go, th- this book is like so needed. It's so needed wow. because I think for many of us, all of the old playbooks don't seem to be working. I talk to so many communicators who are like, I miss the crowd. I miss the crowd. I miss the energy, right? And as communicators, that's who's listening to this podcast. By the way, I'm a longtime listener of your show. So thank you. Uh, you bless me many times with the conversations. But, you know, we all like feed off energy and we all learned how to talk into a camera and that was okay. And then you go back and you're like, oh, I'm home. And then 40% of people show up or 50%. And you're like, there's no more crowd. Like the energy's gone. It's just not the same. 
I, I have a working theory that 2021 is harder on leaders than 2020 was. Tell and, me what, this is awesome. Well, I don't know. It's, it's made up, like all my theories. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think, Steve, 2020, and I'm not disparaging 2020, okay? That was a brutal year, brutal year. I mean, everything you mentioned and more. Plus, we went through a very divided election. Um, COVID had a brutal toll on so many people. It's still raging. But now it feels like we should go back to normal, but there's no normal. It feels like, okay, we need to get ready. Like, you know, I studied history. You read the Second World War, there's shortages of this and shortages of that. And the Nazis are advancing. And I'm, my parents were born in that, that window. And I'm like, wow, that's like, that's five years. How do you get through five years of that? I've always wondered. And now, you know, we don't know when stability is returning into the leadership landscape. And the mistake I saw so many leaders make in 2020, which made it into the book, thank goodness for deadlines, but it made it into the book was I hear people saying like, go back to second quarter 2020, right? When the whole thing is hitting whole coronavirus is hitting. People are like, I just got to make it to summer vacation. And then they come back from summer vacation, they get in the face again, in the stomach. Then it's like, well, I got to make it till Christmas. And then, okay, I just got to make it until my summer vacation 2021. And what would happen is we keep looking to time off to heal us. But the problem is time off won't heal us because the problem is how we're spending our time on. And so I wrote out your best to deal, not with sabbaticals and vacations and all that stuff. That's easy enough to figure out. But how do you spend in the meat grinder of leadership and Sunday's coming and you got a message and you've got a series, plus you got a side hustle. You know, a lot of your listeners are probably bivocational and they're getting, they're getting schmucked and it's just an unsustainable pace. So I think that's the problem we're in right now. That is amazing because I think you're right. Like I think early on, I thought I was in a 5K that then ended up becoming a marathon that, you know, by Thanksgiving, I was like, oh, this is a, this is a triathlon. And then I'm like, oh, this is an Ironman. And like, just not <laughs> feeling like it just kept getting extended out. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not adequately prepared for this. And, right. but you kept like going, okay, just got to make it to this finish line, this finish line. But that line that you just said, it's not about the time off. It's about the, how we spend the time on. Talk yeah. about that because I know in your yeah. book, you, you address this and you kind of make a little bit of a comparison between what you refer to as a stress spiral and uh-huh. the thrive cycle. Um, but talk about time on and how that plays out with that. So the stress spiral describes the vast majority of people alive in Western culture today. And it's basically, I feel overwhelmed, overworked, and overcommitted got way too much to do. And our devices don't help with that, right? Because suddenly you have hundreds, if not thousands of followers, messages every day. It leaves you overwhelmed, overworked, overcommitted. And what happens when you're in that spiral, it's, it's, there's three principal assets that we all get every day and we have to handle, we have to steward, we have to manage. Time, energy, and priorities. Your time in the stress spiral gets unfocused. Your energy goes unleveraged and your priorities keep being hijacked. So I contrast that with something I found out on the other side of burnout 15 years ago, and it was years, I'm going to condense into 20 seconds, what was five years of prayer, counseling, coaching, thousands of dollars of professional help, trial and error, lots of error, lots of experimentation. But I discovered what I now label as the thrive cycle, which is you take those three assets, time, energy, and priorities, 
and you focus your time, you leverage your energy, and then you get to realize your priorities and there's specific strategies attached to each so that you can live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. Before I burned out, I was living in a way that made me struggle tomorrow, right? I worked too many hours. I didn't eat. I didn't take care of myself. I wasn't, I didn't know how to manage all the competing priorities. I didn't know how to handle a growing church. I didn't know how to really handle a family, you know, with two sons who were growing up and I hit the wall and I didn't declare a finish line. So my body did. And it just woke up one day and said, that's it. We're done. Like we can't do this anymore. And burnout is terrifying. Like for a driven leader, it's terrifying. So I realized I have to learn to work within limits. So that's where I came up with, okay, here's how I'm going to focus my time. I'm going to leverage my energy. I'm going to realize my priorities, live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow and, um, and do that by doing what I'm best at when I'm at my best. So that's the thrive cycle. And that's what the book unpacks. That's, that's so incredible. I love how you just said that around time when focusing it, leveraging your energy and realizing your priorities. I mean, that, that's just, I, I love how, I mean, that'll, that'll preach. Hmm. I, I think what you are naming, if you could go back and let's say it's, I know you hit that burnout wall like uh, 2006. Let's yeah. say it's 2004. And you can go back 17 years, taking what you know today, the research that you've done. I, I know we've got so many pastors and communicators and preachers that are listening to this who feel on the verge of burnout. I mean, I, I, mm. I, could, I could read email after email of people who are just saying like, I don't know if I can make it another season. I don't know if I can make it another yeah. quarter, you know, and what would you have done differently? I mean, you, at Connexus, it was a growing mm-hmm. church. You were, you, you're, you were a growing voice. Um, mm-hmm. You had priorities that you, that were important. Knowing what you know now, how would you have gone back to 2004 with sermons that you yeah. that needed to be written, um, leadership decisions that need to be made? Can you, is there a way that you played that out a little bit and been like, I, I wish I would have done X, Y, or Z. Um, and I think I could have realized some better priorities. So just totally transparently, I'm not sure 2004 Kerry would have listened. He was too stubborn. He was too <laughs> driven. Because people kept telling me, dude, you're going to burn out. And I'm like, no, I'm not. That's for weak people. Like, I've got this. And then, you know, my body is like, uh-uh, we're done. Um, but that said, here's what's so ironic. I am leading so much more now than I did in 2004. And I just, I took a month off this summer. I have hobbies. I have a team. Uh, my marriage is in a better place. My sons are grown, but we have a real relationship. And so I think I have had to take my own medicine and, and learn that. So here's what I would do differently. Um, time management, there's a million books out there. And I burned out when I was actually fairly decent at time management. What I didn't do, I couldn't do energy management. I couldn't do priority management. So I have a few time management hacks in the book. But if you're like, oh, another time management book. No, um, there's a lot of others out there. But the real key for me, I've got some tips on that, was energy and priority. So let's talk about energy. What I realized is I get 24 equal hours in the day. So does everybody listening to this podcast, every leader, every church leader, every pastor, you get 24 hours in a day. And although the hours are equal, they don't feel equal and they don't produce equally. So looking at my own life, but then also supplementing it with a lot of research and, you know, we're learning a lot about the human body. 
It's generally accepted now that most people have three to five productive hours a day in them, period. That's it. Like we're alive for 24, except for the day we're born and the day we die. But we get 24, but we're only really at our best for three to five hours. Now, Cal Newport would agree with that. Brain science agrees with that. So many researchers. And in my own experience, anecdotally, you know, a good day is five. A normal day is about three really peak hours. And if you're creating content, we have mostly content creators listening here. You know that. Like, it's not like you can do series writing for nine hours and be as great at hour nine as you were at hour one. You're just not going to be. So um, that raises the question, okay, I have three to five great hours. So I divide the day now into three different zones, green, yellow, and red. So Steve, are you a morning person, um, morning. night owl? Yeah, morning. Morning, morning is my best big rock. It's the green, you know, it is everything for me. When you're writing the thing beneath the thing, you're like, you're like writing that in the morning, right? It's yes. not eight o'clock at night. Right, right. Okay, great. And it, listen, I think morning people have an advantage, but if you're a night owl, don't stop. Okay, this is like, don't, this, this is not a, oh, you got to be a morning person. It's not that. Then your best hours are at night. Uh, Daniel Pink says, uh, most people are midday, sometime between 10 and four, they kind of hit their peak. So you got to figure that out. There's also a couple of hours every day where most of us are really tired. Like, get me some caffeine, um, you know, poke me with a stick. Uh, let me take a nap. I better go for a walk or run or do something. I'm going to fall asleep right here. What would those hours be for you? Like what hour sort of tends to be the, the bad one? Typically around 2.30, um, I start to kind of, I, I have a dip for about 90 minutes and I have to like go for a walk. You know, uh, I'm right. here, you know, Pacific Standard Time. It's like 11.45 right now. Like from, I'll have a, I call them like these energy bursts for about 90 mm. minutes, 60 to 90 minutes and have three of those. But usually around lunchtime, I'm like, I just, I, it's another one of those that I, I typically am having conversations with people that I, I just love. And so around lunchtime for me is another one of those peak conversation um, mm. opportunities for me. Okay. Good to know. See, this is all self-awareness. So mine happens around four in the afternoon. That's when if I'm in a meeting, it's like I am doing everything I can to stay awake. I'm trying to stay focused. If I'm writing, there's typos galore. Um, like you're just not at your best. So you have your green zone when you're at your best, your red zone when you're red zoning, you're just not great. And that's being human. And then everything else is yellow zone. And so what I started to do was divide the day into three zones and they will vary. Like maybe you get most of your green zone in the morning, but a little burst after lunch. I take a nap often at lunch and I have some food and then I'm like, oh, I got another great hour. I can do some really good editing or some writing or that kind of thing. Um, so the, the, the challenge with a lot of leaders is we ignore our energy levels. So we don't, we don't fuel them, we fight them. It's yes. like, I'm just going to get this thing done, even if it kills me. And then the other problem we have is if you really get, if you get three to five good hours in a day, a lot of us don't spend them strategically. So I'm a morning person. I used to be the king of breakfast meetings. So I do breakfast meetings, right? So I'm supposed to, I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to preach, but I got to go out. I got to meet this donor. I got to meet the staff meeting. I, I, I used to do my one-on-ones at breakfast because they were more fun that way. And so you know how they go, right? You leave the house at 6.30 or so, get to the restaurant at 7. It was supposed to be an hour. 
turns out to be an hour and a half because you know how those breakfast meetings go. Then you're like, oh, I got to drop by a coffee shop before I go to the office. Then it's nine when you're in the office. Then you talk to people in the office. It's 1030. You're like, oh, I got to check my inbox. So you check your inbox. You put out five fires. It's 11 a.m. You're already tired and you want to go home and you haven't touched your message. Right. And repeat by five, you know, five work days. You just do that five times because it wasn't a breakfast meeting. It was your workout. Right. And you're not exactly training for the Olympics, but you did. You went to the gym in the morning and now your message still isn't done. And this is if we can, if you don't mind nerding out for communicators for a minute, this is, this is where the problem hits. So the problem is then it's 3.30 on a, let's pick Wednesday, okay? Because Sunday's coming. So 3.30 on a Wednesday, your message still isn't done. The creative team is kind of yelling at you. Hey, Steve, you got that outline? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got this idea, but you haven't really worked on it. You're thinking about it at home every night. So you're not fully present when you're at dinner because you've got that message. David Allen calls it um, open loops, And it's a brain research thing where if you have an open loop, you got that big thing you have to get done and it's not done. You might say, oh, I'm not working. But trust me, your brain is working. It is working on the message. It's not going to let you rest. Thursday comes around. You had someone in the congregation die. You're like, oh, you know, my, I can say it here. You can't say this out loud anywhere else in public. Death is never convenient. Do you ever notice that? It's like nobody ever schedules it and says, this is a really good time for me to get ill. Is this a really, now, That's not, I mean, cut that out if you want to. Everybody who has done what you and I do know exactly what I mean. Exactly. But it's never, never comes at the right time ever. And then all of a sudden you got this funeral you got to prepare for. Now it's Thursday at four o'clock. What do you do? A lot of us, because we're good at what we do, can sit down and whip something off in an hour and a half that will pass for Sunday. It's not your best work, but... It got done. And even on Sunday, maybe somebody came to faith. Maybe somebody got baptized. Maybe someone said good sermon. But you know deep down, it's not very good. And if you didn't get that, then Saturday's gone and you're writing on Saturday. This is the life of a preacher. And I used to live that life. So what the At Your Best Framework does, the thrive cycle, I call it, living in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow, is you protect your green zone, which for you and I is in the morning and probably for a lot of listeners, You do what you're best at in that green zone. So you take your most important work that has the biggest impact for preachers. Guess what that is? Preaching. And you do it Monday morning and you carve that time out. So when I say, hey, Steve, you want to get together for breakfast Monday morning? And you're like, sorry, Carrie, I have a commitment. Preachers are terrible at saying that because if you have an open calendar, which most people do, it's like, what are you doing Monday morning? It's like nothing. Oh, good. Come to breakfast with me or come to my office or come here. You're like, sorry, I have a commitment. The commitment is to yourself. Yes. It's ultimately to your church, to the mission, to your family. You get that message written. It's going to take you a few days, but you, get, you, you pound it out, you know, Monday, Tuesday. By Tuesday afternoon, you pretty much have a finished outline finished. Your creative team is happier. If you work ahead, they're thrilled. Now you got the whole series done. Your creative team's happier. You go home and you're fully present. And as you know, Steve, like when you were teaching over the years at churches, if you get that sermon done or the series outlined, it almost doesn't matter what else happens during the day because you got the big thing done. So that's the, the big idea in the book. I love that. I mean, I think, I think seriously, being able to have the self-leadership and take responsibility. Um, I think sometimes we as pastors, we almost feel like we're in this caring for others profession, which we are. 
Mm-hmm. But sometimes we almost become the victims and, well, I got I to gotta do this and I got to do this and I got to And we're almost these martyrs and our yeah. family pays and our congregation pays and our preaching pays, our bodies pay. And what mm-hmm. I so appreciate is you saying, no, 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 no. It's okay for you to have this self-care because your family's going to win. Your congregation's going to win. Your, your, your ministry's going to win. You're going to win when you do this well. Well, play that out over a decade. So, yes. you know, you can do that for a week or two. That's okay. You can do that for a week or two. And even now I have weeks like that where it just, it all blew up. And, but now at least I can recalibrate and try to figure it out. But you do that, you do that for a couple of years and all of a sudden your toddler's in kindergarten and you've come home stressed, exhausted. You didn't really do a real vacation because you still had to work ahead in the next series because you didn't get it done. And your Saturdays are a bit of a meat grinder because you feel the pressure of Sunday because you're, you're not really done. But then think about it in terms of fidelity to your calling and to becoming a world-class communicator, which you have invested a lot of your time in. Getting the message written is one thing. Becoming a better communicator is something entirely different. Because if you want to become a better communicator, you probably should read some books on effective communication, probably want to listen to other preachers, listen to other podcasts. And I think the effective use of your green zone is to do both. So spend an hour reading about world-class communication or study some TED Talks or look at what other innovative communicators are doing and figure out what works for your setting. Then work on your series, develop your ideas. I just read a mutual friend's book and an advanced copy of John Mark Comer's Live No Lies. Yes. And I don't know if you've had a chance to dig into it. It'll be out soon. But man, it was, I kept texting him. I'm like, dude, this is crazy good. And we had a long conversation about it. He did so much research for that. Yeah. That does not happen because you wrote that chapter Thursday afternoon at four o'clock trying to get ready for your Friday off. Like it, it happens because he spends an hour reading every single morning and he's 41 now. I'm like, I can't wait until you're 60 or 70. Like, do you know how that compounds over time? And so what a lot of communicators do is they cheat their gift. And by that, I mean, they use their gift, but they never develop it. They never sink in the 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell talks about that we all need to become really expert at our craft. So, um, you know, a good use of your green zone three, four, five days a week is, yeah, work on your message. Start working ahead. Your team will thank you. Your staff will thank you. Start studying great communicators historically. Learn from people from different traditions than you're in and hone your craft, sharpen that saw, and you will become a better communicator. You, you will see the immediate benefit of, oh, when I'm home, I'm home. Um, I got my day off and I didn't have to worry about it because I was finished. Your team will thank you. You'll get all those immediate benefits. But what will happen like compound interest? It's that putting 50 bucks a week in the bank when you're 19, you know, when you're 25, you still haven't got a lot of money in the bank. But when you're 50, holy cow, that compounded. And that's when, and for all the young leaders listening, that's when you're a different person at 30 than you were at 20, at 40 than you were at 30, at 60 than you were at 50. And it's that compound wisdom that really makes the difference. So using your green zone for that will really, and then, you know, use it for strategy, for vision. I always found when I was a preacher, if I preached well, if the vision was crystal clear, if our team was aligned and healthy, if um, we had resources to do what we needed to do, almost nothing else mattered. 
Wow. As long as I did those four or five things, Connexus always did well. So I would use my green zone after I, you know, burned out and recovered and figured this stuff out. I would just spend my time on that. If a little team member was getting a little bit sideways, I would give them some of my best energy. And I would say, hey, can we just talk about the vision? Can we just talk about what happened between you and her? And we'll just describe that, you know, and, you know, because if it's, if it's divided at the top, it's divided at the bottom. That's right. If it's unhealthy at the top, it's unhealthy at the bottom. If it's healthy at the top, it's healthy at the bottom. I don't know how that is, but that's true. Whether your church is 40 people or 40,000 people, if there's a, a little crack at the top, so use your best energy, your, and, and that requires focus. That requires energy. So using your green zone for that, and then, you know, fill out the expense report in your red zone. Yep. It'll probably be accurate. doesn't require too many brain cells and get it done. On the other hand, if you're the accountant and you're responsible for the financial health of the church, well, then you better write your uh, P&Ls in the morning when you're sharp rather than right. at four o'clock with lots of errors. Sorry, missed a couple zeros there, right? <laughs> you don't want to be that guy. So that's all about energy. And that, I think, is the Archimedes lever that really changed my world and allowed me to do so much more in such less time. I love that. Well, let's, let's flip it for a little bit, though. Yeah. And let's say I'm a younger communicator, and I've, I've been really privileged because two of the three communicators that I worked for and under, their green zones were the morning. Two of the three. Mm. One of the three our green zones were opposite. I was morning, he was afternoon. So like it, 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 was, it was different and which was okay, gave me freedom. But one of the, the, the ones that their green zone was during the morning, they were more of a builder and they wanted mm. to have meetings while I wanted to study to write messages. What, ah. would, you, what, what would you say to the younger leader who is going, man, my green zones are being hijacked by somebody else that I work for. Um, how do you, how, what coaching would you give to that? Love that question in a very real situation. So we don't all have, we're not all founders. We're not all uh, CEOs. So we don't all have control over our calendar or senior leaders. So what do you do? I would say focus on what you can control, not on what you can't. Because instinctively, there's something about the human mind that just says, well, I can't control that. So therefore, this doesn't apply to me. So what I would do, let's break down um, a work week. So uh, you get 168 hours each week. And then I'm going to get very specifically to the scheduling question you're going to get to. So this, I'm not dodging the question. Yep. I'm just getting there with the big picture. 168 hours in a week. A work week is typically 40. Maybe it's more, but let's just say for argument's sake, it's 40. That gives you control over 128 hours of the week, which is pretty sensational. But then let's break down the work week. So I've, I've had the privilege before I wrote this as a book, I was teaching this on the road. So I've taught, I probably asked this question to thousands of leaders and a lot of pastors. And I'll ask people, because that question always comes up. I don't have control over my calendar. What do I do? Um, so I asked leaders of the 40 hours you're at work, how much is command performance? Like you have to be in this guy's office at two o'clock or right. you, it's all staff meeting or, you know, you have no control over it. Most people, it's 10 to 12 hours. When I've asked the question recently, it's been more like five, but let's say for argument's sake, somebody listening here has a high watermark and says, Carrie, it's 20 hours a week. It's 20 hours a week where I have to be at this meeting and that meeting and this place and this location. Okay, great. Do the math. That means you have 88% of your week within your control and 12% that you don't. 
And most people, it's half that. So you've got over 90% of your week in your control. So, so that frames it as it's probably less of a challenge than you think, but it's very easy to say, well, you wreck my green zone every Wednesday with that one-on-one, right? right? So what do you do when he wrecks every Wednesday with, or Monday with that one-on-one? Here's what I think you do to your, your boss. Number one, you go to your boss and you say, hey, listen to this podcast, bought this book. Uh, I got this idea where I would like to become a better communicator and far more effective at what I do. What it may involve is perhaps, would you be open to moving that meeting by two hours or so, or moving it to another day, or you know, insert compromise here? Would you be open to that? I promise you the result, and I'll give you the ability to evaluate this, but within two months, I hope to be better at what I'm doing, better at communication. Are you open to moving that meeting or this series of meetings for two months as an experiment and then see what happens. Now, most reasonable bosses, and I know we don't all have a reasonable boss, but if you have a reasonable boss, the boss will say, yes, now you better use it for what you said you're going to use it for. (laughs) And hopefully there is some noticeable improvement in your communication style. Most bosses would say yes. Then at the end of the two months, if there is some improvement or at least no damage, they're probably going to leave it the way it is. And so I would negotiate that way. The other thing I would say when it comes to meetings, because now people are like started when they do this material, they start to compare green zones and red zones. And, you know, is a meeting a strategic use of your green zone or is it better in a yellow zone? That really all depends what you do. If it's like content ideas and you're a preacher, green zone might be a really good use of that time. It might be a yellow zone thing. The thing to avoid in team meetings is try to make sure most people aren't in their red zone. Those are never good meetings. Right. Okay, I had one leadership team at a very big, successful, growing church, 8,000 people. I, re- I led them through this material, uh, did some consulting with them, and they compared notes, and they hated their leadership team meeting. And then they realized, most of us are in our red zone. Ah, oh, they moved it by a couple hours. They all loved it again. So <laughs> That's amazing. You know, Carrie, one of the things that I um, have just been just, beyond blessed by you is the content that you create. And, you know, you've gone from, you know, at one season creating 60 sermons in a calendar year, uh, not to mention other conferences and things that you were teaching at, but you are one of the most um, gifted at distilling an idea down, um, taking, you just did it right here, just with a you know, starting the conversation at the 30,000 foot level and then bringing it down to what we have agency over. I'm curious, and I've asked you this before, we, you know, we did a, a communicators workshop uh, for a backstage pass. And again, one of the things that I'm always blown away by is how you are able to have these healthy open loops, but then not just think about them, but it's like on a, maybe a bike ride or your perfect lawn lines, like you are just being able to take notes and distill them down into really bite-sized ideas that I can put into practice, which leads me to this question. One, how do you do that on the regular? And then how far out are you typically? Um, Because I think this will be really helpful for communicators when they're reading something or thinking something, processing something, you obviously give it time, distill it down, live with it, and then are able to offer it up. Um, how, how do you do that so frequent? 
So the key to all of it is to have a really good capture system. That can be notes on your iPhone. It can be Evernote. I still use Evernote. Could be a voice memo system. Could be a Google Doc or a Word Doc that you just keep opening up. Lots of people have different ideas. And I should say it didn't start this way for me. But as I realized, you know, as our church got bigger, there are the whole stages of church growth thing. And at a thousand, you know, or even, even 500, preaching becomes one of the defining characteristics of a church, right? If you got 50 people, it's like, they're just happy that there's someone with a pulse in the pulpit. And, you know, I started there, right? With 50 people. And they were happy that I was 50 years younger than the last guy. So that, that, that works in your favor. And you're kind of going Sunday to Sunday. But then as our church started to grow, I started to really think about, okay, these series actually matter. So I started a capture system. And by the time I, I'm, um, you know, I haven't been the lead pastor for six years now, but by the time I stepped out of that role and I continued as teaching pastor for a while, I would have two to three years of series ideas in the bank. And anytime I was reading something that was just a little bit curious, sometimes it was like just an obscure note that only I would understand. Why did David take a walk on the roof, right? Something like that. Just hit me. And I don't know. And then sometimes I'd have an idea for a series and they often do hit you at the most random moments, which is why they, they never, they're not series planning. I'm sitting down in front of my keyboard to write something. No good ideas ever come there. They always come when you're in the shower, mowing your lawn, you know, out for a walk. And there's actually brain research now that describes why that is. You know, it was Nietzsche who said there is no, what did he say? There is no thinking without walking. And there's something about movement and the brain and the way God designed us that makes that work. So that's the capture system. Then I would go over them in a more significant way when I was preaching, going, is this a series or not? No, that was a bad idea. Oh, but that led me to this, which led me. And then I'd start outlining them. And then I would pull my favorite ideas because in the end, I wasn't doing 60 messages for the last decade because things have changed so much. I was down like everybody else to 30 to, yeah, 30 to 35 messages a year. But what are those series going to be? What are the messages going to be? I'd pitch them to the creative team. And then if a, a, an idea wasn't right for the time, I'd just put it, either discard it or put it back and maybe rework it for the following year. So, and by the way, when that idea bank got low, I realized it was my time to step back from preaching. So I've still got one or two series in the bank that I haven't used. And maybe if it fills back up to four or five, then at that some point I might say, yeah, put me in again. But I'm, I'm taking a little sabbatical from preaching. However, the same model works for content. I have an Evernote file just called 2021 Blog Ideas, which is a mishmash of ideas I thought of on the fly, articles I've read, clips, phrases, thoughts that I just write down. And then I go and look at that archive. It's a mess. If I gave it to you, you'd say this, this, this guy has some problems. Um, but to me, it makes sense. And then I just go through it and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. And if I can get the bones of an idea, then I know there's something there. If I can get the three things, five things, seven things, if I can get the main idea, the thrust, um, then I have it. And, And the reason capture is so important, and we all know this, is you have a really brilliant idea you get interrupted, you don't write it down. And then you think, what, what was I thinking again? And you know, it was really good. And sometimes you don't get those back. Right. Sometimes right. they don't come back. It's like, I don't know what that was. Okay. I trust you, God, but it's gone. And so that's my capture system. And that's what's fed me for about 20 years now of preaching and communication. And same with guests for the podcast. If I hear somebody, I, I just quickly take a screenshot or send the link to that podcast to myself and Evernote. 
And then I know, oh, I think I want to interview this person or, or whatever. But it's, uh, and then that closes that loop because I know I've got it. And then I can go back and I can easily find it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I mean, the fact that you're disciplined for that capture system is paying incredible dividends to all of us who just kind of hang on the words of those blog posts or the conversations that you have on your podcast. And and I honestly believe uh, this book is going to be so helpful in the marketplace, but man, it is going to bless so many, many of the pastors and the preachers that listen to the Crafting Character podcast. I want to end with this. If you could just just for a moment, just riff. What, what is your, your hope, your real hope for, you know, if a, if, a, if a pastor picks this book up and you could just from one pastor's heart to another, just say, hey, this is, this is what I, this is why I think you need this book. Um, why, why I want you to dive into this book and what it could mean for your community, your congregation, yourself. What, what would you say to that? You need to stop living at an unsustainable pace. And the vast majority of people listening to this podcast are living at an unsustainable pace. And the stakes are high. You're, you're, you could burn out. You may not. I don't know. Um, but that's when people make terrible decisions. That's when moral failure starts to happen because you're numb. And you don't feel anything anymore. There was a Deloitte study uh, released this summer, summer 2021, of executives a year and a half into the pandemic. So this is, this is the marketplace, not the church space. 82% of CEOs said that they leave the office every day or their work every day, mentally and physically exhausted. 59% said they are unable to pause or take a break. 49% can't sleep at night. And I don't think pastoring is that much different these days. And the toll, because I paid some of that price in my 30s, the toll that takes on your family. Read my wife's book, at your, um, you know, before you split. Like, we didn't split, but my goodness, it was rough. It was rough. And that was a frazzled guy with no margin and no reserves trying to lead a growing church, trying to lead a family and not doing a great job. And I don't want that for people. And I've learned how to live in a way today that can help me thrive tomorrow. And I want that for you. I want you, you don't, this doesn't have to be the suffer fest you think it has to be. There is another way. And if you quit ministry, which a lot of people are doing right now, great. You don't resolve this. All those problems go with you into your new career. Yes. Whether you work for yourself, whether you start selling insurance or homes or cars or whatever you end up doing, all those problems go with you. And you just trade one set of challenges for another if you master this stuff, things will really start to change. And honestly, at 56, I feel so much better than I did at 36. And uh, we'll see what 76 is like. Give it a couple decades. I don't know. But you should be getting better, not worse as you get older. And most of us are getting worse, not better. And that's got to stop. Man, Carrie, that is fantastic. Okay. You just said something, though, and it triggered an, an asterisk, a question. And then yeah. this will be the end. This will be the end. For generations... We have these generations that I think have handled work and their approach to work differently, you know? So yeah. boomer generation, the greatest generation ever, you know, uh, you have Gen Z, Gen X, millennial. And I think for a lot of boomers, it was, you, you'd go to work. You don't, mm-hmm. you, 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 
you find it, you find the energy, you find it. Something's happening where I feel like too, you know, like on a millennial side, you're watching, I mean, I can't imagine any Olympian like Simone Biles pre basically saying, I'm not going to try and do this um, and, and go through with this. And she just said, hey, I, I bravely, courageously was like, I can't do this. Yeah. And it was like, and, and just going, I feel like there's a generational difference to how we're approaching this, which when I hear you speak about this, you were speaking and pastoring and leading to each of the generations with hmm. self-responsibility with, but have you, have you seen like, man, there is a, depending on what generation you are uh, born into a kind of an easier ability to identify your green cycle, your green color, your green, you know, or a harder to even take care of yourself. Yeah. So most of the team I'm with right now, my company are, they're all millennials or Gen Z. So they're significantly younger than myself. And I would say for this generation, um, most of whom are listening to this podcast, that would be most people listening to the show. This is a real issue. And, you know, digital natives now, they've never known an off button. They've never known any of that. So it's, it's, it's being bombarded 24-7. One of our company values is pursue health. And it was one of our church values too in the last few years of my leadership. I think it still is actually. And the question is, it's the thesis of this book. It's a life message of mine. Am I living in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow? One of my jobs as a boss, as a CEO, as a founder is to make sure that my team lives in a way today that will help them thrive tomorrow. That my responsibility is, and, and I don't want to overstep my bounds, but you're right. It is in the air. And there's a lot of leaders who are like, I'm not selling my soul for a paycheck. I will try to figure out, you know, the fire movement, financial independence, retire early. I'll try to figure that out. <laughs> or I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll work for myself or I'll have a side hustle or I'll get some job that just pays the bill, but I'm working for the weekend or whatever. And it's like, okay, there's another way. I love what I do. This is my legacy project. This is my, this is my retirement. Okay, here we are in my retirement. I'm doing what I love to do. But I also love my wife. And tonight, you know, we're going to hang out. We might go out in the canoe, have a hot tub at the end of the day. We're, uh, I am not going to sell my soul to try to do something in the name of Christ. Like, I think I almost did that at one point. And Jesus said, I never asked you to sell your soul. Like, I've never asked you to do that. You know, you, you don't have to. And so I think there is a third option. I think there is another way that does work cross-generationally. And healthy bosses want their employees to have real lives. Healthy bosses want their employees to be thriving. I, I checked in with my EA this morning. One of my questions, she took an extra day off and I want my team to take time off. I want them to take lots of time off. I want them to rest, but I want them to enjoy their time on as well. And I asked her, how was your weekend? You went kayaking and everything. And so we just talked about pace and I'm like, good. If it gets to be too much, let me know. Now, you know what happens? You might be like, what, what kind of environment is that? People give you more at work right? because when they're at work, they're on. Yep. They're like, I got something in the tank. I love this. And so you, ironically, you get more done at work and you get more done at home and all that stuff. So it's, it's a virtuous loop. That's what excites uh -huh. me the most about it. Carrie, seriously, I mean, you are living away today and sharing that info and knowledge that is helping guys like me, pastors, leaders all over the world uh, thrive today and 
and ensure the chance to thrive tomorrow. So I love your legacy project. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for joining us hey, on the Craft you, and Character Steve. podcast, man. Hey, it means can the world. I let people know one thing? Yes, please. Yeah, we, we threw some uh, bonuses in. So if you're listening to this before the book releases yeah. or around the time, go to atyourbesttoday.com. That's atyourbesttoday.com. We have a free masterclass and um, we, we sunk significant resources. So don't think, oh, I shot it on my iPhone. No, no, we... We broke the bank on that one. And uh, there's a bunch of free re, uh, resources for you at At Your Best Today, plus all kinds of interactive things that accompany the book. So uh, you can check it out there. Awesome. Carrie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, many blessings. I'm so excited. We're going to do a giveaway with this book because I want as many of these pastors to get oh, this book in their hands because if they can get their schedule right um, and they can get the, the green cycle thrive cycle right and not live in that stress spiral their preaching their marriage their health all of it is going to be so much better and the kingdom will win so thank you so much brother have a blessed day and uh, we'll talk soon thanks steve well i'm so grateful for that time to interview carrie and again i think the world of the man you got to follow him if you've not subscribed to his podcast go find it. You can watch it on YouTube. You can subscribe, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple. It's everywhere. The guy, the guy, the guy's a content machine. And I'll tell you what, uh, the things that he puts out, uh, I often will read and wrestle with the ideas. He pushes me. He confirms some thoughts that maybe I've been wrestling with. He puts language to ideas that I, I haven't even uh, kind of actually had the time to. I mean, he is forward thinking. He's just an absolute gift. So uh, follow him, subscribe, and uh, let's be the kind of people who dive into this book because I believe if we're going to be great, great communicators at our craft, we've got to be at our best, at our best at home, at our best with our friends, at our best with God, at our best uh, at the pulpit. So uh, get that book. It's going to be awesome. Um, Hey, another thing I want to make you aware of is we have another cohort, a crafting character cohort starting really, really soon. It's been cool because we're trying to do, you know, six of these a year with different uh, coaches. We've had uh, Nancy Beach is kicking one off in, in September. We've had Mark Moore, uh, who is a teaching pastor and, and legend at uh, Christ Church of the Valley out in Phoenix. Uh, we've had Dick Alexander, and who's just fantastic. Um, we also have Dave Stone. And Dave Stone, many of you know, great, great teacher, um, part-time magician, if you didn't know, the guy's amazing. Um, but he was at Southeast, uh, went through an amazing succession with Bob Russell, but then also handed it off to Kyle Eidelman. He's just um, a pastor's pastor, definition of humility. I think the world of this guy. And so he's kicking off a brand new year-long cohort. will start in November. And I would love, love, love for you to be involved with that. If you're trying to get better at the craft of communication, um, what you can do is you can go to the Ascent leader.com, ascentleader.com, and you can sign up to learn more about how you can go on this journey. You'll, you'll get this amazing opportunity to go to meet with three different communicators from around the country and really begin to kind of grow, learn, um, kind of chop it up. And you'll have a coach who's walking with you and helping you get better. And every person who's gone through the cohort, they've, they've reached out to me and they've told me, hey, I, I've actually gotten better and here's how I've gotten better. And I would love for you to experience that. Obviously, we're talking about character. We want you to have and develop the right practices so that when you are off the stage, you are still living a life that demands an explanation. So if you want to learn more, 
feel free to check that out. You can always email me at steve at steveryancarter.com and would love to tell you more about it. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. Peace.